uh, and Dan can help you kind of understand what that would look like specifically, but I encourage you to think about that, and we'd love to have your help today after the service right down front. We started last week a new series, uh, and we'd like to kind of continue on uh, in this series on worldview. In fact, the, the title of the, uh, the series that we're in is uh, uh, The View From Here. As we think about, uh, this kind of the subtitle, that we live in a post-modern world. We live in a post-Christian world. And the implications, uh, uh, the effect of our worldview is huge. We started by understanding last week, it was kind of an overview, that worldview matters. And worldview uh, seeks to answer really four key questions. And so uh, those four key questions that any worldview answers are, where did I come from? What went wrong with the world? Is there a solution? And what's my purpose? So those four questions and how we answer those four questions become a filter for the way that that we look at things and how we view things and the way that we live in our lives and the way we interact in our world and how we make sense of what's going on in our world. And we just need to understand that our world, our culture, has a very different set of answers to those questions. The first question that we want to start out with, the very first one, is the question, where did I come from? And if we're going to understand the beginning, we're going to understand the kind of the first question, then uh, let's start at the beginning, start at the beginning of the Bible. Uh, and so if you have your Bible, turn with me to the very beginning. The very beginning is Genesis, the first chapter, right off the table of contents, uh, right on the left side of the book, right at the very beginning, Genesis 1.1. So if you have your smartphone or you got your Bible with you uh, or you got something to look it up, look up chapter 1, verse 1 of Genesis, and let me read it for us. Here's the answer to the question uh, of where did I come from? Here it is, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so what we see in this passage is the answer to that question. This is the starting point in the beginning. Now the reality that the, this universe that we live in, live in had a beginning is something, one of the few things that I can agree with atheists like uh, Stephen Hawking's. It's a name, name I know many of you are familiar with, but Stephen, Stephen Hawking's, uh, in a lecture about the beginning of time, he said this, and I quote, all evidence, and this is Stephen Hawking's, the, the, the atheist, all evidence seems to indicate the universe has not existed forever, but that it had a beginning, that it had a beginning. That's what Stephen Hawking says. And he goes on to say that the science that confirms the beginning of time, and this is his words again, probably the most remarkable discovery of modern cosmology. Now, that's awesome. I'm delighted that we employed untold numbers of scientists and, and paid them great salaries and kept a lot of people employed. But if Professor Hawking's, if Stephen had just called me up and said, Hey, David, can you help me understand where it all came from? What we could have helped him with is right here in Scripture. We knew all along because Scripture says... In the beginning. Now, from that point on, that's where we and Stephen kind of, our paths kind of, kind of go, dif go different directions. Because he would say, a very different, he would come to very different conclusions about what happens next and how it actually happened. But we have in Genesis, the kind of the next step, in the beginning, and what does Genesis 1-1 say? In the beginning, God created. 
Now we look at, at what has been translated God created in the original language. You go back to the Hebrew and you look at that and you try to understand what was it saying. What it was saying in that, that, that phrase is this is something that only God can do. The language that's used is language of this is a God thing. Only God could do this. That word create comes from a Hebrew word, borrow, which means, and it refers, refers to divine activity, emphasizing, again, only God can do this. The implication is you, again, look at this, uh, what's being said when, when it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, that the implication is that this happened out of nothing, that God created out of nothing. And what was it? What does Scripture say that God created? He created the heavens and the earth. So this is that, the picture, and you could go on, you can read through the, the rest of the crea- creation narrative there in chapter 1, and you read about the organization of what we know, the light and the dark, and God spoke it into dis- existence, and sun and the other stars and the earth and the waters and the plants and the animals, and ultimately, the crowning jewel of all of creation, us in humanity. That we are created in God's image. As we drill down a little further, when it says, in the beginning, God created. Well, we understand in that phrase that God created, it's not just some random, impersonal, blind force thrown in over billions and billions of years. God, we understand from Scripture, was engaged in the process God created, that there is a grand designer. And so what do we know about this grand designer? What do we know about God? What can we, what can we learn about this uncaused cause? Before we talk about that, I think it's important for us to at least partially answer the question and begin to think about how does this really impact life? How does this worldview and having a worldview and understanding where we came from, how does that impact real life? What difference does this question of origin make to real life? Well, let's just be real and just talk about something, an issue that's in our world. I'll give you a couple of examples as we think about how we need to frame the way we think and what we believe based on a biblical worldview that we were created in God's image, that God created. An easy example to think about is the issue of abortion. What we think about abortion is influenced by our worldview, should be influenced by our biblical worldview. And with this idea that in the beginning, God created, that we are created in the image of God. So I'm not talking about what's our political view, because, because what we think about this can be influenced by any number of things. And what I just want to propose to us is that our lives should be influenced by our biblical worldview first. And the view is that God created. That life is not just about us. That life is God's gift. That life has value. That it's not just a fetus. It's not just a blob of cells. That that we, as Scripture says, were knit together, fashioned together in our mother's womb. That, That God said that I knew you before you were ever born. And let me just pause and just say, realizing that in a crowd this size over multiple services across multiple campuses and as we have many people that even watch online that there are any number of people some of which you are here today and you made a decision about abortion 
and you, there's, there's pain, and there's struggle, and there's guilt. And what I would say to you today is that you need to hear me clearly when you hear me say that this place is a place of grace and love and forgiveness. And that God cares about you. And no matter what decision that you've made, God loves you. And God can forgive and restore no matter what decisions have been made in the past. I'm reminded, I just want you to be reminded of, of, of David who took the life of Uriah the Hittite. If you go back and you read that Old Testament story, and, it would, and God would say of David later, after that event, he would say of David, he would describe him as a man after my own heart. So today, if that is something that's impacted your life, a decision that you've made, know that God loves you. And at the foot of the cross, you can find grace and love. But we can't not be willing to talk about difficult things because we're afraid that it might offend or hurt. We need to understand what does the truth of God's word say. And the impact of a biblical worldview matters. It matters what we think. It matters how we interact in our world. And if we don't allow a biblical worldview to influence our thinking, then we will allow the culture to skew our thinking. And we can start buying into our world's worldview. But let's not just talk about abortion. Let's talk about, what about, how does it impact the way that we think? What, how does it impact racism? Or how does it impact immigration? If we're going to stand for life, then we must stand for life. Not just in the womb, not just with abortion, not just with euthanasia, not just with stem cell research. We need to stand up and say that we value life across the spectrum from birth to death. And that we need to stand wherever in our world there is injustice. Wherever in our world there are people that are devalued and looked down on and looked at as, not, as less than. The book of Revelation, pointing to that end of time experience, talks of Jesus when it says, and they sang a new song, this picture of heaven in Revelation 5, saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you, talking of Jesus, were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. So we need to check our biblical worldview. As we're forming our thoughts about, about different races or different nationalities or people of different economic statuses, as we form our opinions about things like racism and immigration and all those things from embryo to unborn baby to adult, no matter our, the skin color, no matter the heritage, no matter the birthplace, they were created in the image of God and they are valued by God. They have worth by God, racial, ethical Economic prejudices that are self-centered and arrogant and blasphemous against our grand designer because we think that we are something and someone else is nothing. In that moment, we are soiling the name of Jesus when we take upon ourselves his name but have those thoughts and have those attitudes about anybody that walks the face of this earth. Just to put the cookies on the bottom shelf. It matters what we think about life it matters what we think about where life came from and what we believe 
must permeate the very core of who we are. And it should matter what we believe and what God says about what to believe. And it should matter how we live. So as we think about God, this great, this great God, and that, that he, in the beginning, created, what do we know about this great grand designer? Well, first, we know that he was, as we kind of move beyond, there's practical implications. It should impact the way that we live. But, but what do we know about our grand designer? What we know that about him is that he was an intelligent designer. When we look around our world, we see the intricate design all around us, the complexity and the diversity of design. And, and we see, we can, we can see it with the naked eye as we, as we look around. We see it when we look through a telescope. We see it when we look through a microscope. It screams that behind the beauty and the variety and the complexity of life that there must have been a designer. Every song has a composer. Every book has an author. Every car has a maker. Every painting has a painter. Every building has a builder. And every creation has a creator. And the other dominant worldview in our culture says as its answer to origins, as its answer to where we came from, to boil it down, it's that we came from nothing. That blind, random chance over millions of years with survival of the fittest kind of thrown in accounts for the vast array of the complicated creative order. But what we need to understand that should impact the way that we live and the way that we see our world and the way that we see the other uh, the throng of humanity that we share this world with, we should understand and remember in the beginning, God created what Genesis 1-1 says. And it was God, that intelligent designer that created this universe. This is a, there's a picture of earth. And this picture of earth, we're reminded that the earth is eight 8,000 miles in diameter. It's 25,000 miles in circumference. And we are traveling on this wonderful little, little uh, created little sphere that we call Earth. We're traveling some 93, on average, million miles away from the sun. And we travel roughly 584 million miles in our journey around the sun. Now, if that orbit, that journey around the sun, if it just varied slightly, if it sped up or it slowed down, then the orbit would change. And if that orbit changed, like if we passed a little closer or a little further away from the sun, what would happen to life as we know it? It would cease to exist. We need to think about our God as this intelligent, grand designer. If, as we think about traveling in that 93 million mile away from the sun orbit of some, again, 584 million miles, that journey around the sun, if on that, as we lap the sun, which takes 365 days, 6 hours, 49 minutes, and 9.54 seconds, in that trip, it is calibrated to the 1,000th of a second. We go around the go around the sun so it's not exactly 365 days that trip that we take and that's why we have the leap year thing and all that but it's calibrated to that one thousandth of a second i want you to think about the again this 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 sphere this earth that we live on the the great grand designer if there was just some slight change in that orbit if we again we were just a little closer a little further away if the temperature of the earth's surface just changed just a few degrees 
Life as we know it would cease to exist as this planet would either roast or freeze. It would change the the fragile uh, balance of the water to ice ratio and other critical balances and there would be disastrous effects again on this planet. If the earth's rotation slowed just a little bit on its axis, again, life as we know it would cease to exist and there would be freezing or, or immense heat. Again, it it's calibrated just exactly. If the moon was, was larger or closer to the earth, then that would change the, the tides. And if the tides changes, if the tides grew, then they would crash upon the, the, the surface, the land mass of the earth. And if they overflowed the lowlands and they, they eroded the mountains, if the continents were leveled by huge waves, again, if the moon was just a little diff- in a little different place or a little different size... And the continents were flattened. Do you know the one scientist said that the earth would be covered by as much as a mile of water if that happened? If the moon, again, was just in a little different place. If the, if the earth was tilted at just a little different angle than 23 and a half or so degrees, if it was just a little bit one way or a little bit the other way, it would totally throw off the, the seasons. And again, life as we know it would cease to exist. And what if water, this wonderful thing that God placed a, a, on 71, I think it is, percent of the earth's surface, if the water was, was different, if the water wasn't there, it's the water that when the heat from the sun comes during the day, the, the, the water absorbs that heat. The heat absorption of water is ten times that of steel. During the day, heat from the sun is absorbed by the water. It rapidly soaks up immense, enormous amounts of heat. It helps the earth stay relatively cool. But imagine if that that water wasn't there. That water that then at night wasn't there to release that energy and that heat back into the atmosphere with all the effects that are just in a perfect balance, the atmospheric effects that keep the surface of the earth from freezing and thawing and from great huge temperatures during the day. Again, life on this earth would cease to exist if this earth wasn't perfectly calibrated. And this is really cool, in contrast to... to, uh, Virtually all other materials, there's just a couple. Uh, what happens when, uh, when, when water gets cold? When, when you jump into a lake, what happens? The water, the water at the bottom of the lake is colder than the water at the top of the lake. Because the, the, the water, as it gets cold, it, 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 it comes together and it gets denser and so it, it sinks, it's heavier. And so the, 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 the water that's lighter, it comes up to the top and so it's warmer on the top and colder on the bottom. And so if that continued, what would happen to lakes and, and parts of the ocean? It would freeze from the bottom to the top. If, li- if water froze from the bottom to the top, if it did that, life again on this earth would cease to exist. But in a cool, amazing little feature that, again, speaks to the fact that we have an intelligent designer, water actually contracts when it reaches about 4 degrees Celsius or 39.5 degrees Fahrenheit. It contracts for some strange reason. And when it contracts, it floats to the surface. And so that's why lakes and water freezes from the top down instead of the bottom up. In other words, 
This earth has been precisely and specifically calibrated for life. Life as we know it by our great, grand, intelligent designer. Not only is our God a great, grand, intelligent designer, he's also an all-powerful designer. It's important for us to think about our God and to think about him as this all-powerful designer, to consider how remarkable and how awesome our God really is and allow our mind to be expanded, to marvel and to wonder about how all-powerful and how big our God is. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 40 verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, who has marked off the heavens with a span or has enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in the scales and the hills in a balance. The prophet Isaiah was was trying to help us to consider the the mind-blowing subject of how big our God really is. And he asked the question, who who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Some of you, many of you, uh, of us have, we've measured water, we've we've taken a drink with the hollow of our hand, we've under a faucet or or whatever out out somewhere, out of a, a body of water, we've dipped out of the with a hollow of our hand. You can't get as much water in the hollow of, our, of your hand. Some of you have gone with us to Paraguay. There's a picture that we want to put up of uh, Iguazu Falls. Iguazu Falls, Eleanor Roosevelt, when she first saw it, said, poor Niagara, <laughs> in comparison. Iguazu Falls, as much as 450 cubic square feet of water every second at its peak flows over Iguazu Falls, some 1.3 million square feet of water. And imagine Iguazu Falls and Victoria Falls and Niagara Falls all lumped together, all of that water flowing. Imagine if you took that water and you put it with the water that, that is in our great lake here of Michigan with its 22,000 square feet of water, its 279 feet depth. On average, it's almost 900 feet depth in its, in its deepest points. And you take all of that water, 1,200 cubic miles of water, and you put all of that together, and you put it with the, with the water from, the, from Niagara Falls and Victoria Falls and Iguazu Falls, and you put it all together, you still would have only 4% of the total water on the face of the earth because 96% of all the water on the face of the earth is in the oceans. But you took all of that, and Isaiah, the prophet said, of God, he has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. We need to think about how great, how powerful our designer, our great God is, that he can hold the waters in the hollow of his hand. If you were to take, as look at this picture of uh, of a desert in our world, if you were to take all of the dust and all of the sand from all underneath all of our refrigerators and dryers and washers, and you were to clean all of it out and you were to lump it together, and you take all the sand from all of the beaches and the dust from all of the deserts like the Sahara and the Arabia and the Gobi and the Patagonia and the Great Victoria and the Kalahari and the Syrian and the Great Sandy and the Gibson and the Iranian and the Mojave and on and on and on, and you would lump them all together, and then you would also take the the, all of the mountains and all of the rocks and all of the, all of the, the granite and you take all of that together, it says of God that he could measure it on his scale. And that, Isaiah, he says, that's my God. Are you beginning to get an idea of just how big and how powerful our God is? 
Our God who by divine fiat, with His Word, spoke this world into existence. He said, let there be, and it was so. The psalmist writes, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. And we look at our world and we're reminded of our powerful designer, our powerful God. And we look at this world and we're reminded, and we look at the world beyond this earth and we're reminded. We look to the heavens and we're reminded as we look around and we look at the stars, we're reminded of how great and how grand and how powerful our God is. We're reminded of the vast expanse of this universe that has been created. That our all-powerful creator God is responsible for. I imagine, if you've been here for a while, I, I share this with you at one point. Let me just kind of, let's go on a trip again. If we were to design a space and build a spaceship that could travel at the speed of light, and the speed of light is 186,282 miles per second. If we were to get in that spaceship and we were to launch ourselves from, from uh, the equator, we could, in the time it would take, one second, one tick off your watch that you have, in just the time of one tick, you could travel in our little spaceship, traveling at the speed of light of 186,282 miles per second, you could go eight times 25,000 mile circumference of the earth eight times in the tick of one second off your watch and if we were in that little spaceship that we designed and we were to kind of explore our universe a little bit if we were to go back in that in that spaceship that follows or that that, that travels at the speed of light which is 186,282 miles per second in in a second and a half we would zoom past the moon In four minutes, we would get to Mars. It would take us another four minutes traveling at the speed of light, which we all have learned is 186,282 miles per second. Another four minutes, so eight minutes, it would take us to get to the sun. If we then went back toward the earth, another eight minutes, uh, it would would, uh, get back to the earth. And if we were to just want to go to the, just to the end of our kind of relatively small solar system, with the sun at its center, just to the edge of our solar system, or the edge of the last planet in any way. Some would say, well, we traveled to Pluto. Well, not actually, because remember, Pluto got downgraded. It's not a planet anymore. We'd have to travel to Neptune. And for us to get to Neptune, it would take us traveling at the speed of light from Earth to the edge of our solar system, or at least the last planet, uh, official planet in our solar system. It would take, traveling at the speed of light, 186,282 miles per second. It would take us four minutes, I'm sorry, four hours to get to the end of our solar system. Now, our solar system is a part of a galaxy called the Milky Way. And when you look up at the stars at night, and you see those points of light, sometimes you're seeing a star like our sun, but many times what you're looking at is a cluster of stars in in another galaxy. It's an entire cluster that that is so far away, but it's so huge at the same time, but but when you look at it, it just looks like a point of light. But in it, in our Milky Way, uh, scientists estimate there's somewhere between 100 million and 400 billion billion stars. And again, our little solar system has a star. And so the Milky Way is a relatively... 
kind of average size galaxy and you look at the you look at the heavens and there's galaxy upon galaxy upon galaxy and if you were just to travel in our relatively small uh, galaxy the milky way from one end to the other traveling the speed of light which again we've learned is 186,282 miles per second it would take you from one end of our milky way again a relatively average size galaxy galaxy it would take us traveling that fast 100,000 years. And Isaiah the prophet said, My God can measure the heavens. They are marked off by the span of his hand. That's our God. That's our God. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 148 verse 3, Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. And He established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. There's one final thought real quick. That our great God, that our intelligent creator, that our great big grand designer, that our all-powerful God that can measure the heavens in a hand, His hand, can, 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 can uh, hold the waters in the hollow of His hand, that great God finally is an engaged designer as well. He's engaged. He's not this great God that, that created and then He went off, set things in motion, and then went off to work on some other project that He had going on. I mean, we, we think about our world. What happens when someone gets to become a really big deal? Like when they maybe get a lot of money or they get a lot of power or get a lot of influence. Then all of us regular people, we're kind of at arm's length. You can't just kind of call up somebody that becomes a big deal in our world necessarily and, and just, hey, hey, I'd like to talk to whoever, whoever that is. I was, uh, I, I've been looking how, how I could weave this into a, a sermon. Uh, a few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to sit next to Shipkowski, he's the fullback for uh, the Green Bay Packers. Oh, it was, it was exciting. I had to sit next to him, this big mass of a guy, sit next to him on, on an airplane. Uh, why, somebody asked me, why wasn't he sitting up in first class? Why was he back with the, you know, the throng of humanity? I have no idea. Um, and most of you have no idea who that is. I was pretty excited to get to sit next to him. Um, but what happens when people become something? When they get that money, they get that influence, they get that power. The rest of us don't have the opportunity to connect with them anymore, for the most part. And so when we think about how great and how grand and how powerful and how awesome our God is, we might think that, that He's some aloof God, that He's detached from us. But what we learn from, from what we can learn from Scripture is that our great, grand, all-powerful God is a God that wants to be engaged in our lives. That even though He's... Uh, intelligent and powerful and all these things, he is still engaged. And in the midst of that, you are still important to him. That our great creator God is engaged in human history, the grand meta-narrative, the grand great story of scripture that God created, that Adam and Eve sinned, that there is a problem, and, and history is all about God making a way so that we can be reconciled to him, so our relationship can be put back with him. The great grand story of Scripture. Him working to reveal Himself to us through His creation. 
and sending Christ to be our Savior, our Redeemer. But it's not just that God wanted to be engaged in human history. God wants to be engaged in your history. God wants to be engaged in your story. That you matter to God. That He wants to connect with you. He wants to make a way for you to be connected to Him, to be engaged with Him. The psalmist would write in Psalm 139, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word was on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you knew it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. God wants to lay his hand on you. God wants to be engaged with you. What we believe about where we came from matters. It matters because where we came from and what we believe about about how it all began, it matters because it influences the way that we think and how we live and how we interact and the decisions that we make and what we do and what we don't do. It it matters how then we, we look at certain key issues that are going on in our world, how we look at the rest of humanity as we look at, the, at, at our purpose and why we're here and, and what our, what, why God has us on this world to begin with. Our world has a totally different view. We're living in a post-modern world. We're living in a post-Christian world. And anytime soon, that's not going to change. But until that time that our God calls us home, we need to understand that we need to be on mission. And we need to live understanding what we believe. We need to live with a biblical worldview that, that, that matters, that, that, that affects the way that we, that we live our lives. We can't afford as Christ followers to get sucked into thinking and believing and behaving like our world says that we should. We need to resist and live according to God's word. And the first question that we need to understand is the question of origin and the question of where we came from. And the answer to that question is that we have an intelligent designer, that we have an all-powerful designer, that we have an engaged designer, and he wants to be engaged in your life today. I invite Dan and our worship team to come back up. And as we conclude our time today, we'll have a, give you an opportunity to connect with that Great creator that wants to be engaged in your life. And I want to encourage you to fall on your knees before God. To submit your life to Him. To confess your sin to Him. To acknowledge that, this, that, that His word and the precepts and the laws and the thoughts that He has about life and death and what's right and wrong. That, that from this point on, God, they're going to be my thoughts. And even in those moments, as you consider the greatness of your God, that when you consider that, you know what, God, I would do things differently. I would organize this world differently. I would have a different way of approaching and and saying this is right or this is wrong. And I wouldn't say that's right. And I would say this is wrong. If you have a different opinion on all that, I would encourage you today to, as you get a little better glimpse of who God is, to just admit, God, you are God and I am not. And I today submit in authority to you. And I'm going to believe what you say, even in those moments that I don't totally get it. And I'm going to put you 
in the place that I have been living in for too long, which is the throne of my life. And I'm going to step aside and I'm going to let you take that place. And I'm going to bow my knee and I'm going to submit because I want you to be engaged in my life. Remember, that's the God that has chosen you. That's the God that loves you. That's the God that sent Jesus Christ to die for you. He cares about you. And one more time. He says, I want to hem you in. I'm behind you and before you. And I want to lay my hand on you. Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that we would submit ourselves to, your, to you, God. That we would submit ourselves and just acknowledge that God, you are God and that I am not and you're big and you're greater than anything I could ever comprehend and you blow my mind when I take a moment to consider you that you can hold the waters in the hollow of your hand. You can measure the sands and the deserts in a scale. You can you can mark off the heavens with a span of your hand and all of that. You are God and I submit to you. I confess my, my brokenness before you. I need you, God. I submit we conclude our time I submit my life to you we pray in Jesus name all creatures of our God and King live 